X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. It's April 13th, 2020. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. The word restaurant is French. Comes from restaurer. Forgive my pronunciation, meaning to restore. Seems fitting. Today on The Local, your quick six headlines. Alex Frain from Eater joins us to talk about the pandemic's impact on Portland restaurants and our interview with local chef legend Naomi Pomeroy, who is convening restaurateurs to advocate on a national level. Of the 30 people that I've laid off, less than half of them have even received their first check, which is really shocking. And first up, it's time for today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. I'm Jefferson Smith, and it is Monday, April 13th. Happy day after Easter. Coronavirus cases have plateaued in Oregon, a major drop not expected, though, for six weeks, according to new estimates. Projections released on Saturday by the Oregon Health Authority estimate there are currently 7,000 cases of coronavirus in Oregon. That's more than the roughly 1,500 cases that have been diagnosed. The projections were made by the Institute for Disease Modeling in Bellevue, Washington. Current social distancing efforts have led to a plateau of new cases in Oregon. Though, according to the Bellevue report, Oregon isn't expected to see a drop-off in total numbers of cases for at least six weeks. If no social distancing measures were taking place in Oregon, the data suggests cases would have doubled every five to seven days. That would have resulted in about 25,000 current cases rather than the estimated 7,000. The state needs to maintain the current aggressive interventions in order to continue decreasing active cases. If Oregon were to return to just moderate interventions, like bans on gatherings of just more than 250 people, the state could see 40,000 to 80,000 cases and between 400 to 600 deaths by May 18th. With the continued stay-at-home order in place, Oregon is likely to see anywhere from 10,000 to 20,000 total cases by that same day, and an estimated saving of lives of over 300 human beings. As the COVID-19 outbreak in Oregon continues to impact the local restaurant market, here are some of the different ways the state's food service industry has responded. Median sales for American craft beer sales have dropped 77% since the shutdown of bars and restaurants last month. That's according to a Brewers Association survey. The survey also asked this, Given current costs, revenues, and the current level of state and federal aid, how long do you project you can sustain your current business if social distance measures stay where they are now? 46.4% of respondents said they could last only one to three months. And as organizations lose resources and are forced to maintain social distancing, the City-County Joint Office of Homeless Services is now paying for meal donations. Multnomah County will now pay $260,000 a month to Catholic Charities to provide at least 40,000 meals a month. Pips has stopped serving its freshly fried mini-donuts. They're now bottling and selling community chai, the cafe's chai concentrate. And the cafe is donating 10% of those proceeds to members of the Portland restaurant community, like a JoJo food truck, the cart giving away free meals. And they just got a portion of proceeds from the community chai. Stay tuned for our interviews with Alex Frain from Eater and award-winning chef Naomi Pomeroy for more on how restaurants are coping with the crisis. Your daily dose of data... Oregon state and health officials reported 80 new coronavirus cases on Sunday. That's 1,527 cases now confirmed in Oregon, 52 related deaths. And after some pressure from local journalists, the state released data on residents of assisted living and other long-term care facilities who are accounting for at least 24 of the 52 reported COVID-19 related deaths. That's for Washington State. The Department of Health reports the state has 10,224 diagnosed cases and 491 related deaths. Meanwhile, 
Multiple people reported 100 motorcycles driving around East Portland this weekend, popping wheelies and riding on their handlebars. Lest you think Portland is going crazy, if you read those alerts, Portland always seems like it's going crazy. Also from PDX Alerts, a male wearing a Lakers jersey and yellow goggles was walking down 114th and Halsey and yelling at people. That's the 7-Eleven near my house, by the way. No comment was offered by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Data shows a big majority of Oregon renters paid April rent. Across the country, according to the National Multifamily Housing Council, data shows a big majority of Oregon renters paid April rent. Across the country, according to the National Multifamily Housing Council, one-third of American renters didn't pay April rent. That comes with a few big caveats. Their analysis looks at apartment units that use property management software, so it doesn't count mom-and-pop landlords very well. The analysis also just includes rent payments made in the first five days of the month. Lots of landlords gave leeway this month to allow payments after the standard due date on the 5th of the month. In early March, before the pandemic devastated the nation's economy, a fifth of tenants hadn't paid their rent. With the unemployment rate soaring, how many people are able or unable to pay their rent? And Oregon experts are asking the same question. Multifamily Northwest, which represents landlords and property managers in the region, has sent out a survey to its members who combined manage some 200,000 units. The group expects results early next week. The Portland Housing Bureau also expects to have numbers by then. In the meantime, national data holds a partial answer. The property management software company Entrata saw 83% of Oregon households make rent payment in the first week of April. RealPage, another software company, saw 82% of Oregon units pay rent. Those numbers are pretty similar. According to RealPage, that's a drop of 7 percentage points compared to April last year. No other state in America had a smaller decline. Speaking of landlords and tenants, Catherine Durant, with a nod to Ayn Rand, named her company Atlas and owns the Galt Building, was forced by a court to allow one of their health care tenants to open a temporary pod to triage coronavirus cases. For those watching at home, Catherine Durant is the wife of Gordon Sondland, the former Trump ambassador. Oregon will increase food stamp funding amid the coronavirus pandemic. Oregon is going to funnel an extra $60 million into food stamps to increase the amount people get through SNAP. That's the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. The $60 million will cover the costs of getting all recipients the maximum amount of assistance allowed for their household size. That maximum varies from $194 for one person to $646 for four people. Eligible recipients will receive the new benefits automatically. DHS, that's the Department of Human Services, said that the extra funding would come from the federal government. From the Department of Cute Babies and Sweet Nice Ones, as the coronavirus outbreak keeps many Americans at home, lots of people are reaching out for companionship and looking for ways to lend a hand. Animal shelters are seeing a surge of public interest in pet adoption and fostering. According to the Oregon Humane Society, which operates one of the biggest shelters on the West Coast out of Portland, they had to temporarily close their application window because they were getting so many applications. Note that many local animals in need of adoption come from Multnomah County Animal Services. That's local government. I learned that on X-Ray. And in a shout-out, welcome to new Grant High School principal James McGee. McGee was recently a vice principal at Lincoln and the advisor to the school's Black Student Union, and Lincoln's principal, Peyton Chapman, roughly speaking a saint of a human, gave James a lot of the credit for Lincoln's improving graduation rates. Welcome, James McGee, and go Generals. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. I'm Jefferson Smith, and you're listening to The Local. Now our focus turns to the restaurant industry, how they're coping, what the future might look like. 
Alex Frayne is a writer for PDX Eater, and Alex has been following the changes of the industry quite closely. Alex, thanks for speaking with us. Hi, thank you for having me. What are some of the biggest changes that have happened to the Portland restaurant industry over the past three weeks? Well, um, I mean, the largest one is the fact that almost everything is now closed. I mean, like you were saying, 155,000 people estimated in Oregon that were employed by the hospitality industry. Now we had something in tens and tens of thousands of unemployment files in the last few weeks, many of which came out of the restaurant industry. Um, there are still restaurants open. When she closed them, she effectively closed all dining rooms, but uh, that allowed for a number of restaurants to pivot to takeout and um, to takeout service and delivery service, uh, which doesn't really apply to things like bars. So we've pretty much lost our entire bar scene in Portland. Yeah, you're not supposed to take out vodka. You're not supposed to pick up and go. No, you're not. Not yet. Um, They have switched. So Caviar now delivers wine. You can get wine and beer from a lot of restaurants. So you can kind of get like an approximation of your favorite meal delivered to your home, which is really cool. But, um, you know, that only goes so far. That really doesn't cover a lot of what restaurants need to survive. It only covers a really, really small portion of it. Shine, and, you know, it shines spirits. This goes on. It shines spirits. You can get hand sanitizer. They're not a sponsor True. or anything. Yeah, just... there's been a lot of Oregon distilleries that have been switching over to making hand sanitizer out of their spirits. How are businesses coping with takeout only? How's it going? Um, it's not going great for all of them. To be completely honest, there have been a number of restaurants that tried it, and it just wasn't covering their base. In fact, uh, there's a potential for people to actually lose money doing it. Because how come? How come lose money? How come lose money doing it? Just because they don't get enough takeout orders per hour to cover their overhead? Essentially, yeah. And you know, a, a lot of restaurants also depend on wine and spirit sales to survive as well. And without those, if you're just doing food, then your cost is higher than your profit. You know, and you add to that having to pay anybody who's still on staff, it just doesn't equal out. You end up having a loss. Anything working to be done, any legislation that's getting worked on, any public policy moves to help the restaurant industry? So that is kind of what we're depending on right now, what restaurants are depending on right now. Um, Most well-known, of course, is the recent recent federal act, the CARES Act, which has a section of it, which is, um, you know, for small businesses, um, specifically that there are certain benefits for the restaurant industry but uh, a number of local restaurateurs have been coming out and saying that it simply isn't enough. Um, there has been a huge problem in particular with the payment uh, protection plan, I believe. Excuse me. The Paycheck Protection Program, um, which is a certain amount of grants and loans to small businesses under the conditions that they hire back a certain amount of their staff by June 30th. Uh, which creates a huge problem for a number of restaurants, uh, you know, considering the fact that we don't know when this ban is going to be lifted. Just the other day, Kate Brown extended it indefinitely. That's our governor, Kate Brown, extended it indefinitely. So, you know, even if they are open by June 30th, if they hire back all of their workers, that might put them under, even with these sort of uh, protection plans. They also have to pay it back within, I think it's two years for certain loans which for a restaurant, they just might not be able to do that. You might not be able to recoup, you know, these huge losses that have been going on. Um, so there are some local organizations um, and larger organizations in 
particular, there's the um, the Independent Restaurant Coalition, uh, the IRC, that actually came um, partially out of Portland with a chef in town named Naomi Pomeroy. She's behind Beast, an expatriate. Uh, she and a number of other Portland restaurants also started the Portland's Independent Restaurant Alliance. Um, and the uh, IRC kind of came out of that. So these are two organizations looking to basically lobby the government, or not necessarily lobby, but to at least like send letters, um, uh, organize, and you know uh, provide a certain amount of activism to try to support these smaller independent restaurants that are being affected by this. What are the kinds of restaurants that will be able to weather the storm, and which are the restaurants that seem more at risk? Um, really has to do with size. Like you can look at, um, I think it was the Cheesecake Factory recently just said to their landlords that they were not going to pay rent. They just weren't going to do it. So, you know, when you have that level of a restaurant that has that much money behind it already, those guys are probably going to be fine. So my biggest concern is that all these smaller, um, you know, independent restaurants, family-owned restaurants, small restaurant groups, uh, they're not going to be able to necessarily pay their rent. And even though there's a moratorium in some places on evictions, that they still might not be able to pay their rent in a few months. And so if we lose them, there's the potential for these larger chain restaurants and larger, you know, more profitable restaurants to just kind of move in, take over that space, and we would see a total uh, restructuring of our entire restaurant culture, essentially. When I was thinking and, about... Know, that's worst-case scenario, but it's possible. When you were saying a matter of size, I was thinking capital reserves. I was thinking the advantage that someone like the Cheesecake Factory would have was they had enough cash to keep going. What you said was, no, it's also about institutional power. If the Cheesecake Factory is big enough that their landlord is going to blink. Yep, yep, and smaller businesses just don't have that. I mean, you know, there's a potential for all of them organizing together and saying that, but even still, like, that's, you know, it comes with a great amount of risk. Any other examples of restaurants that are either weathering it or any examples of independent restaurants that are just probably not going to make it? You know, um, there's a lot of examples of both of those. What I think is actually more inspiring and interesting what's going on right now is the fact that despite all of this, you know, catastrophic, there's really no other term, this, this catastrophe that's going on right now in this industry, and I... I want to add, too, that this isn't just about, like, you know, your favorite restaurant closing down, right? I mean, that's definitely a possibility. But it's also about, and it's not just about the people who work at that restaurant. Restaurants are, you know, they not only employ the people who work there, but they employ the farmers who provide their food. They provide, they, you know, um, employ the people who make textiles for fabrics, for tablecloths, and designers for menu and marketing teams for restaurant advertising and winemakers and beer makers and, and, and everything. So it's this huge networked industry. And so um, one of the things I think is really inspiring is that despite the fact that they're, they're weathering this catastrophe, you see these restaurants around town that have said, okay, well, we can't sell our food, so we're going to do the next best thing, and we're going to donate that food to hospitality workers who are out of work, or we're going to donate that food to um, frontline medical workers. So we're going to keep those lines of production open. We're going to still buy food from local farmers to make sure that they can keep growing that and they can keep, you know, producing and providing food. Or restaurants that are going to set up produce boxes that people can come buy and cook for themselves at home in order to keep those farmers 
employed and to keep some people on staff, things like that. Um, you've really seen this, what is so remarkable, at least here in Portland, is this collaborative culture amongst the restaurants. There's um, a food cart near, just a few blocks away from my apartment near JoJo. It's a fried chicken and JoJo food cart. And they uh, just decided that they weren't going to sell their food anymore necessarily. They were just going to provide it if you needed it. You can just call ahead, ask them for a fried chicken sandwich and say, you know, I'm out of work. I can't pay for it. You don't even need to say that. You can just say, you know, I'd rather not pay for it. And they're like, all right, you know, come pick it up. Any uh, other in, any other local inspiring stories, things that will help keep us going? Yeah, there's a bar called Botanist Bar, really excellent cocktail bar. Like every other cocktail bar in town, they're completely closed. They're not doing any to-go sales or anything like that, they started making packed lunches for um, out-of-work um, for out-of-work people. Um, I believe it's Kex, an Icelandic hotel uh, that opened up not that long ago, right? They only had a few months that they were open. They're doing uh, food packages for um, for hospital workers. Uh, there's got to be more people. I know there's more and more restaurants out there doing that. Um, you can actually visit Eater Portland. Um, it's pdxeater.com. We have a whole bunch of roundups of things like restaurants giving away, or, uh, that are selling CSA, restaurants that are, you know, giving away food. Um, there's been a lot of chefs that are home, and so they've turned to systems like Instagram to provide live cooking classes, which are really fun. It's kind of a way to, like, learn your favorite chef's favorite meals and watch them cook at home and uh, chat with them and things like that. Um but yeah, specific stories. I, I, there's there's a ton out there. I know I'm missing some, but um, really, just as a whole, you know, if, if I have any optimism about this, is the fact that everybody who is involved in the restaurant industry here in Portland isn't ever doing that to get rich, right? They're, that's not why you enter the industry. It's because you care about this, you're passionate about this, you want to feed people, you want to provide a place for people to go. And those people are the sort of people who are willing to fight for that. You know, it's not about the money for them. If it was, they could just turn and do something else. But it's not. I'm just sell this stock and buy a different stock. Yeah, exactly. But I know that's not what they're going to do. They're all going to keep fighting for, you know, the people of Portland for this industry. And hopefully we can do our best to support them in that. Alex Frayne with PDX Eater. What are you going to be looking at next? I'm just going to be looking at how this develops and you know uh which restaurants are able to keep open and keep serving and where i'm going to get my next takeout alex thank you so much for taking the time thank you and next up is emily gilliland's interview with naomi pomeroy naomi is a national award-winning chef the owner of beast restaurant who now finds herself fighting for restaurants on capitol hill thanks for joining us naomi yeah thanks for having me how are you feeling today yeah, I feel pretty good, you know, not sleeping quite enough, um, on lots of calls with the East Coast, so my, um, what would otherwise be a relaxing uh, stay-at-home order has turned into a lot of early mornings for me, but that's okay. It's all in, in good faith efforts to try to help out. It is, it's incredible to think about all that's happened just even in the last month. Just a month ago, I was at a nonprofit event, you know, the NBA had just closed. Things were just starting to become clear. And restaurants are balancing protecting their people, supporting community need, and, and frankly, staying alive. What has been the journey of your restaurants over the last month? Yeah, so I have a small restaurant called Beast over on um, 30th and Killingsworth, and then right across the street, 
we run a cocktail bar, uh, my husband and I, Kyle, and um, it's it was pretty, yeah, like like you just said, it's kind of shocking, you know, how fast everything's gone, and then also how much time has passed. It's like, you know, we're already at almost a month now, I think, of mm-hmm. being closed, um, so that's also sort of surprising. Um, you know, essentially what happened is, uh, you know, as we started to read the international news and looking at the situation that was unfolding in Italy and then looking at the situation that was starting to come to pass in New York and um, people, you know, they were starting to talk about social distancing and things like that in, you know, probably, I guess around like March 8th or 9th is sort of when that stuff started sort of rolling out and and things just happened really quickly. Um, as soon as we you know, heard that people could transmit the virus without realizing that they were sick. It sort of shifted the tone, I feel like, nationally. And uh, locally here, some restaurateurs and I started exchanging concerned text messages like, what are we going to do? You know, how are we going to manage our own establishments and, you know, really do what's right for the community? and and for our teams you know it's like a it's a shared i think responsibility that we have uh, you know across the board it's like we want our teams to survive and be healthy we want to continue to be able to serve and feed our community and at the same time we have to do that safely and we really don't know how to do that so we we came together um what we thought was going to be a really small meeting ended up being a pretty a pretty large meeting um uh, with Submarine Hospitality, we use their space, um, Fora, which is their event space behind Ava Jeans, and um, a surprising number of uh, local restaurateurs showed up, and we started sort of talking about what to do, and 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 a lot of people had this, you know, we all had the same concerns. You know, we were all thinking, you know, how are we going to get through this? What are we going to do? And, and we talked a little bit about, you know, what each of us were planning on doing. Um, a lot of people planning on trying to pivot to, uh, you know, a takeout or or pickup kind of situation, Um, you know, but everyone concerned about just the amazing, like having to close down after, you know, we we fight a good fight in the restaurant industry, you know, we're, we work long hours and um, for the most part, I think we really love what we do. So um, it's awfully hard to say goodbye to that. But the next, uh, the very next day I called my entire staff in from both establishments and, I just let everybody know that I, I had a feeling there was going to be a really big run on unemployment and, um, you know, that I, I felt that it was best that we just completely closed down. And so I, uh, I asked everybody, you know, I asked everybody, hey, some, some of you probably don't even want to be at work, you know, because some people are living with, you know, healthcare workers, for example. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they, they were already nervous about being in an environment that was so public. And, you know, my restaurant is tiny, too, you know, so it wasn't really possible for us to do some of the other things that people were doing, like, you know, moving their tables apart or, you know, mm-hmm. changing their format because, you know, Beast has is communal dining. Um, it's 26 seats, and it takes two and a half hours to eat there. So uh, there was no social distancing that we could put in place in the restaurant. So... You know, and I, I had thought for a moment about pivoting to sort of a takeout um, model or delivery model, and um, you know, I just decided that I, I I wasn't sure that it would be secure, um, and I also didn't really think that I thought that large of a pivot was a big risk. I mean, Beast is a tasting menu restaurant, so I didn't really know if people would, you know, want to swing by for 
some lasagna, you know. So mm-hmm. so it might have been too far of a of a, a pivot from what we normally do, and and so we just decided to completely close. And we've been closed since um, you know our last day of service was March fifteenth, mm-hmm. and um, and so yeah, it's been almost a month now. So it was a it was a big change. Oh my. And so and I heard you say at the beginning of the call that people were collecting unemployment and for better or for worse, I would say that, that it, as much as we're trying to collect unemployment, um, of the 30 people that I've laid off, less than half of them have even received their first checks, which is really shocking. The system was so overloaded that I've been on a lot of calls asking for them to remedy that. And I, I know that the state's doing their best, but it, it has been just absolutely ridiculous and I've, I've taken to trying to figure out who at the unemployment department actually responds to emails and like getting their personal email addresses and trying to get wow. get response so it's been really tough on my employees oh wow so you go from this moment of bringing portland together portland other portland res- restaurateurs together to talk about what's going to happen now take us to how that has now expanded into a national effort to advocate on behalf of restaurants. Tell us about the path to launch the Independent Restaurant Coalition. Yeah, so, um, you know, this happened, my staff, uh, you know, furloughing my staff happened on, I think it was like Saturday the 15th, and then, um, you know, by by Monday, I received a call um, from someone in um in the entertainment side of things he works um at creative artist agency actually Mm -hmm. and he runs the culinary arm of 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 that agency and had put together a a list of chefs that he worked with and other people that he knew in the industry and though i've never worked with him i've met him at events and and he suggested that i be on this call and the call you know had some really interesting people who have a lot of um press advantages. Um, Tom Colicchio is on the call. Um, Andrew Zimmern was on the call. Um, Sam Cass, who ran um, the food policy for the Obama administration, was on the call. So basically, you know, kind of out of, partially out of what, what was happening on the Oregon level, you know, I, um, my friend Erica Palmer at, at Plate and Pitchfork really helped us draft uh, this fantastic letter to Governor Brown here, um, you know, from our restaurant community asking her to please make it official that we needed to close. Because to be honest, you know, we have been looking for more top-down leadership during this time, and in some ways it's been put upon um, small businesses to to do what's right in the community and, and close down. Um, you know, kind of, kind of just like you saw when, when I think everybody was ready for a stay-at-home order, mm-hmm. and it was taking a long time for the state to actually do it, and it was embarrassing. Like we were behind, we were behind such progressive states as Louisiana. You know, it was like, what is going on? Um, so it's taken a bit of, of of effort, and Erica was instrumental in writing this pretty amazing letter that ended up getting. Um, circulated in this on this call that we were on um with andrew zimmern and what what then became the irc the intern the independent restaurant coalition is what we're calling ourselves nationally um locally our little group we formed we made a little a name called um pira which is the portland independent restaurant association so we've kind of took that letter that we wrote to kate brown and circulated it within our group and we realized quickly that 
we needed to do something like this letter explaining to Kate Brown, you know, our plight as restaurateurs, which is different than some of the other small businesses for sure. I mean, given the fact that there's no, you know, we were forced to close because people are eating together in a small space. I mean, it's a little bit different than a regular business, right? Like there's Mm -hmm. plenty of small businesses that are still able to be open and and operational. Um, And so we basically took that letter um, and actually Senator Klobuchar um, was the representative uh, for Andrew Zimmern and he shared that letter with her and she said, you know, you guys need to get this circulated in Washington. They They need to know on the Hill you know, as they're going into this, um, you know, funding round, mm-hmm. the, the, the original CARES Act was already, you know, being circulated on the floor, or at least the the uh, kind of beginnings of it, which was the Senator Rubio um, bill, was already starting to be debated in the Senate. And so we, we formed this group real quickly, um, the IRC, and um, we partnered uh, with a lobbying agency called Thorn Run out of Washington, D.C., um, and uh, some strategists that have like worked under the Obama administration as well with, with them. So we, we basically just kind of took our, our power. We raised a little bit of money from American Express and Chase and just kind of pushed out um, some representation, which is for independent restaurants, which just to explain that, it's a little bit different than like restaurants have representation um, here in Oregon, we have the uh, or- Orla, which is the Oregon um, Lodging and Restaurant Association, um, and then in nationally we have something called the NRA, which is an un- unfortunate acronym. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not that NRA, um, the National Restaurant Association. And you know, while we don't disagree with uh, those groups. I mean, we fight for a lot of the same things. I think what we realized as people who are trying to run smaller um, Mm -hmm. restaurants, like, you know, not necessarily in size, but like in spirit, like paying our workers living wages or connecting directly to farmers, um, those kinds of things. So in other words, not chain restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, we really felt like it, we did need some special additional attention um, because we do, like you mentioned earlier, we do a lot um, to provide uh, revenue streams out into our communities. I mean, there's so many people, you know, that work directly with restaurants um, that 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 ha- create their livelihoods that way. It's actually a surprising um, when you really look at at the you know the fingers of of that. Uh, river, you know, kind of go out everywhere, and it's pretty amazing to to think about what the actual impact is when a local restaurant closes. Mm. Naomi, how can listeners support you and your work? Thanks for asking that. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, ways that listeners can support. Um, I think if you know, we're trying to get as many signatures as we possibly can on our letter, um, so it's. Um, we, we would love for people to go to um, the Independent Restaurant Coalition website um, and uh, it's INDP yeah. Restaurants. I have to, I have Save to Restaurants.com, I believe. Thank you. Yeah, Save no worries. Um, I was hoping you'd come up with that. <laughs> um, 
yeah, unfortunately, I spent all my day on the phone, so I don't have all these little points memorized. Um, also, um, the James Beard Foundation, um, we're working pretty closely with them, um, and they have a great um, program that they've set up where, um, see, we're not a 501c3 or 4 yet. We don't, we, we're not in taking money right now as the IRC. Um, so we could use your support at a congressional level. You know, if anything's happening, like, here locally that you can be attentive to, like, you know, for example, um, you know, when Kate Brown finally issued a uh, moratorium on commercial evictions, which wasn't until the evening of the 1st of April, um, when you see something like that in the news, if you can help us by calling um, your representatives and, you know, just saying, we care about we care about the restaurants in our community you know so every time you see a flash of of news around that that would be really helpful um locally you can um, visit the um our pira website the portland um independent restaurant association website and you can check that and see if there's something that we we put calls to action up on that website um and so, you know, being politically active on our behalf would be really super special. But if you want to give money, I think giving money to the James Beard Foundation is great because they're actually getting grants out to restaurants across the country. Um, and they're always looking for more funding to do that. And they're giving like actual grants, not just loans, which is, you know, really what restaurants need right now because restaurants already have debt for the most part. And so, you know, we're we're not looking for a bailout, right? We're looking to get back to work, but at the same time, like saddling us with more debt could mean that we might not make it through because, you know, the other really important thing to keep in mind is um, when we do have more testing, um, when we are, you know, deemed to be safe to go back to, to work, um, the best thing that the community could do is to go out and support restaurants because our biggest concern right now is that obviously we don't want to reopen until it's safe to do so absolutely but once we do reopen we're all very afraid of what the economic landscape looks like and basically you know what people's fears are like around getting this virus and the fact is that until we have a vaccine it is going to be riskier to go out into the community um but as much as you can do to support local businesses is going to be really helpful because we're afraid that our numbers are going to be down by 50% when we reopen, which would also cause us to not make it. So there's a lot of uh, cards stacked against us right now as restaurants and, and any support that you can give um, is helpful. Excellent. Naomi, thank you so much for jumping on the phone with us today. We really appreciate all thank you're you. doing. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thanks to Alex and Naomi for joining The Local, and thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown in about 30 minutes. Shout out to Chris Smith and Jonathan Wood for tagging us on social media. Write a review and give us a five-star rating so we can move up in the queue. You are the way that people will know about this. As I've said before, we're spending our time making the podcast, not doing a bunch of marketing. And if you've got story ideas, send us a note at thelocal at xray.fm. I'm Jefferson Smith. Talk to you tomorrow. In the meantime, stay home, stay connected, and thank you, democracy. Did you know Restaurateur doesn't have an N in it? It's not Restaurateur. I thought it was. It's just Restaurateur. No N. I don't know if you want to put that in there, but I did seriously just learn that. And by the way, I was runner-up 
in the KBBS 8th grade spell down. So it's not like I can't spell. I just, you know, would have assumed restaurateur had an in in it. 